Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's the Sneaky Bad podcast now. It really is. It's always been openly bad. There's been nothing sneaky about our badness. Much like the Auburn defense. Exactly. Who actually just came through with a hell of a performance. God damn it, they're good. This was the Kevin Steele I was expecting for one season for us. Yeah, what the hell? I mean, I I called him the Gary Croton of uh, defensive coordinators. You get one good year out of him and then he goes to shit. Yeah, and I, of course, just love Just that he sucks straight out, you know, and you were right. He just sucks straight out. But now this is year two at Auburn. So apparently he saved one of his his good years to go double up at Auburn. Guess so. Because, yeah, I don't get it. I, uh, I'll keep Aranda. I'm happy. Yeah, no, I'm happy, but I'm just more pissed that, you know, Steele sucked for us and is good for them. It's interesting because it's really changing the dynamic of the offseason coaching circle. Because I think if Auburn had lost to Georgia, you might have enough Auburn impatience to, and they have a lot of turmoil in their athletic department anyways. So maybe it's like a start fresh situation for them. Yeah. And you have Arkansas probably coming open, and there's that whole past marriage relationship. So. Yeah, they would love to have Gus, but and maybe still, you know, maybe like Gus wants to get out of that mess that is the Auburn athletic situation. But it, it, the fan, it, it might be a family, but it's a dysfunctional one at that. Hey, Auburn is just such a weird program. They have some really high highs, but they go through some shit. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I could take it. Like, I mean, they really do go from, like, 0-8 to 8-0. No. <laughs> yeah. Though this year is kind of the exception. Like, they were getting projected really high, and you had the line, like, all offseason saying, go opposite. You know, when they're expected to be yeah. bad, they're good. When they're expected to be good, they're bad. Yeah. And they're just, like, good. They're not terrible. They're not awesome, but they're just good. You know, there's talk. You know, they're getting excited. They think they can beat Bama. They probably could. I mean, Bama's pretty. You know, if they if they beat Bama this year, it's you know it's an assist from LSU for how much we banged them up. Yeah, we beat the hell out of them. So, but it is like so, it's back to back weeks of Bama looking vulnerable. I know our score it, was not close, but yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. It, it's shocking that Bama has not looked good as soon as they started playing good teams. <laughs> um. So anyway, hey, welcome to the Sneaky Good Podcast. I'm Poser. That's Dan. We're back. Yeah, we just went right into it. We just started talking shit about Auburn. <laughs> That's what we're really built for. <laughs> this is really our brand. That's on brand. And now we're going to talk a little shit about Alabama. Who 
I don't know. I'm, I have never been impressed by teams that run it up against bad teams. That doesn't mean anything to me. God, they should have um, lost last week. They really should have. As soon as they punted, that game was over. Yeah, that was Miss, so fucking dumb. Oh when Mississippi, honestly, it was before they punted. That entire drive, Mississippi State ran that drive as if, oh, overtime's okay. Yeah. And, and no, it's not. And, and it was a more obvious version of sort of what I was talking about last week with LSU against them. You have to coach as if Alabama is a ton more talented than you. You have to take those chances. You you do not play them even up. Yeah, they went safe, and it was very, very bad decision-making. I only got to see parts of that game. I got to see, you know, kind of the near end, and I was in an Uber watching the, <laughs> the game-winning drive. But Oh, it was – you knew it was going to happen. Like, yeah, it once, was, the, once the punt, I was like, oh, God. I mean, I was ready for it as soon as they ran on first down. I was like, oh, guys, guys. You're trying to run clock. This is not going to go well for you. Yeah, it's a shame because they really looked up for the task. They played well, and they were going toe-to-toe, if not even controlling yeah, they, the game. Yeah, it's kind of what, what I said about LSU against Bam. LSU, I thought, looked like the better team than Bam in the first half. They were just down on the scoreboard. It's mainly because Bama had two or three chances and turned them all into points. And then against Mississippi State, State looked like the better team for most of the game. And then the fourth quarter happened where they were trying to nurse a lead, and you can't do that. What a bizarro year in the SEC. You've got – I know Bama's undefeated, so they're sort of holding that line. But you've got uh, State romped us and then yeah. proceeded to get romped by Georgia and Auburn. We beat Auburn narrowly, but we beat them. Yeah. Um Auburn then romps Georgia, yes. who has looked pretty much untouchable outside of the Notre Dame game, which Notre Dame then gets crushed. Which that's not SEC, but but still, uh, yes, it was the, that was Georgia's big win. Yeah, that was their big crowning achievement. Yeah, I don't know, it's, it's a weird year in conference. Like I don't know. We've talked a lot about it, the SEC being bad. I don't know if the SEC is just like terrible. No, I, I think we've rebounded a bit. I think if yeah. you look at the end of it, it there's five good teams uh, to a varying extents of good. Um, you know, you have I think you have the troika of Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, and then you have two tails in state and LSU. The rest That's of the conference is bad, but you know, those are the five teams that. I think would do well in any conference. I think it would be less surprising if it was like, oh, State, you know, narrowly beat LSU at home and Auburn narrowly lost to LSU on the road and Auburn narrowly beat State, you know, but instead it's like blow out, blow out, blow out, blow out. No, it's it's a very mentally soft conference. I will give you that. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely like once the blowout starts, the blowout starts. So it's kind of nice to be riding out. You know, we're getting the uh, the chicken littles of the conference now. And look, you know, LSU earned it. They played the tough ones up front. Yeah, but it's sort of. I guess it's dampening my excitement for the rest of the year. Like I just I was not excited for the Arkansas game, and not because it started early. Like I didn't care about that. It just I knew it's Arkansas. Arkansas was terrible. So it was like, and the game more um, or less played out like we said. Like we were. 
it took a little honestly if your biggest complaint of the weekend is it took a little too long to blow them out like <laughs> and that's what it was it things was, are pretty good i was a little nervous at halftime i'm not gonna lie because lsu was dominating the game and just didn't have points and i was like oh god we can't do this again and that's and, our, that's our always like fuck around opponent that they do that shit to us so honestly i was worried it was going to be like the auburn game only we were cast as auburn where you, you dominate the first half and then the Arkansas scores a late touchdown to make it seven, seven all of a sudden this game, they shouldn't be in They're in and they're feeling good about themselves. Sort of like how LSU did against Auburn and LSU kind of rode that wave of momentum to beat Auburn in the second half. And instead against Arkansas, LSU used that as a wake up call. It's like, how the hell are we tied to this piece of garbage team? <laughs> yeah. And they just, <laughs> I mean, I think, it, I think that late touchdown made them mad. It was just like this. This is not a seven-seven. They all looked at each other, going, "This is not a seven-seven game." Yeah, I agree. I never and, got too nervous. I guess largely just because it felt so much like we had dominated. It was frustrating. I agree, and you know, we the poser's law that we always cite, but uh, yeah. But poser's law doesn't mean you're going to lose. It just means you need to turn that into points. Yeah, like, and we were failing the, to do that. But it also was like they <laughs> until that last drive of the half, they weren't doing anything. The difference is, is that LSU was likely to continue beating up on Arkansas because Arkansas is not any good. Yeah. And the only thing that made me nervous was just kind of from a mental aspect. It's like, oh, you put all this effort into it. You're tied. There's a letdown. It's like it's the, it's the early game. I was more worried when they weren't playing football. That yeah. halftime gave you time to think. And instead, LSU just got their shit together and blew them out. So, yay. Yeah, it was uh, it was a game. I don't know. I feel like I should have some – I don't really just have great analysis for this game. No, I mean – There's not a lot of takeaways when you beat a bad team badly. <laughs> yeah, that, that's sort of my thing is I don't really – I don't rate being a bully that much. Yeah. It's it, – to me, it doesn't matter if you beat them 33-7 or 33 – you know, 33 to nothing or 53 to nothing. You beat the bad – you beat the pants off a bad team. Yeah, like, that's we took it. care of business. Like that was all we needed to do. Um, Tennessee, there's a little bit of worry for me on the whole dead cat bounce. You know, you fire a toxic coach. There's a chance things get better. Didn't really work out for Florida last week. Um, <laughs> Did you see? That was a team that I really thought would have a dead cat bounce. Me too. And also for, for Tennessee, there's also the whole LSU plays terrible against Tennessee historically. This is our the team that has beaten LSU the most percentage-wise in conference play. I guess, I don't know if you saw the quotes that they asked one of the players, like, have things changed now that they put Hoke in place? Like, are you guys more excited? And he was like, no, it feels the same. <laughs> yeah, no. That's, so I'm, I'm not too worried about them. Really. Yeah, I don't, like, I don't think there is going to be that bounce. I, I think, think they have quit. I mean, uh, Yeah, I think they have flat quit. I, I think so, too. And there's a little bit of... St- that hoodoo that uh, LSU always has when they play Tennessee. That makes me a little bit nervous, but that has nothing to do about these teams. Um, LSU should beat Tennessee worse than maybe Arkansas. Yeah. I think it'll be pretty comfortable. I will be, I will say, and I I think everybody, I think you hinted at it, at least on Twitter. I don't remember. Pretty much everyone has said it. It's kind of a shame that miles Brennan didn't get snaps against Arkansas. Yes. I would have liked to see it, particularly, on the last drive, it, yeah. it was over. Like I was actually a little, kind of hinting at it in the game when they uh, did let Connor Culp 
kick the extra point after he missed the second in a row. Oh, boy. I was kind of like, hey, the game's over. Let the guy get his confidence back. Like, let him kick this one. There's no controversy. You know, show that you have faith in the guy. Mm-hmm. This next, even if he misses it, it's not like that'll come back to haunt you. I was, I think I was saying during the game, look, this this game is over. You know, bring out the subs. Yeah. And even if it means letting your starting kicker miss a third straight point after attempt. I can't remember a kicker missing two extra points. God, well, uh, uh, Serna. Serna, yeah. That's <laughs> as soon as I said it out loud, I was like, "Oh God." I mean, yeah, that, yeah, but that was played in a monsoon. Yeah, at least he had an excuse. He ended up being but, an awesome kicker, didn't he? Yeah, he ended up, I think, either winning the Lou Groza. I know he was a finalist. Yeah, I don't know if he he, he ended up being great. I, I think you know, for Culp, just chalk it up to a bad game and move on. Kickers are weird. Yeah, I agree. He had the yips. Maybe he was hungover or something. Who cares? Which is also why I didn't want to bench him. Just because you don't want any sort of doubt creeping in your kicker's head. I felt like they benched him just because he was like mentally lost. Yeah. I don't think it's a permanent benching. I think it was just like he's just not in it today for whatever reason. Yeah, I'm hoping they don't reopen the kicking job. Uh, I want to see Connor Cole back out there next week. Uh, I just want to put it to bed. LSU has had so many problems with kicking. Yeah. Thankfully, when you, when you blow someone out, you know, th- those things don't get talked about because it's, you know, if we'd won by three or something, they might be like, yeah, whoa, be a huge topic. Yeah. But instead, you crush um, somebody. It's like, oh, it doesn't really matter that he left five or six or whatever points left on the board. Yeah. And the first one I thought went in watching. Me too. Um, we were all uh, watching. So and we were like, what? How did that miss? I, I, I must have missed the replay. I, Even the I'm, replay wasn't very conclusive. Like it looked like it went, if anything, straight over the bar, which is good, right? Uh, yeah, no, straight over the bar would be a miss because if it's over the bar, that means it would have hit the post. That's true. So, I guess it, they didn't show the underneath view, which is what they yeah, usually like, do I, when I, it's close. I never saw, but when I saw it live, it looked, you know, I don't want to say right down the middle, but it looked pretty good. And so. I mean, I had a kid screaming at me, and I didn't have the announcers on, so I was like, "Oh, okay, it's three nothing." And then they come back from commercial, and it's nothing, nothing, and Arkansas has the ball on the twenty, and I'm like, "Well, I guess he missed it." <laughs> you know, they're showing a picture of Ed O looking a little confused. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I guess if that's the grand takeaway from the game, is we pretty much. If there's disappointments, it's that Brennan didn't play. We didn't get a lot of sacks, which everyone kind of thought we would because Arkansas is maybe the worst yeah. in the conference at allowing sacks. Um, yeah, I think they're pretty close to it. Let me check. Uh, I don't so, yeah, here we go. Sacks allowed. Eh, you know, they're bad, but not the worst. Tennessee is the worst, so we like to see that. So we played them this week. So I thought the offensive line played pretty shitty in the first half, which was funny because we had just talked about like, oh, Grimes has really did a good yeah, really job. turned things around, and you know, and then they go out there and lay in. It, it wasn't awful because it wasn't awful, but it wasn't like it definitely wasn't as strong as they had been. Yeah, I, gi- I give you that, but they cleaned Edling, it up though. So it was yeah, and also Edling had a pretty good day. I mean, he only threw like five or six incompletions. I, I was at like 70% completion rate, just shy of it. Like it was super efficient. And then, you know, Chark, you know, had busted two big ones. Yeah. So it was everybody pretty much 
I think I wrote this in my write up of the game. It was the kind of game where everybody did what you want them to do, but kind of in the most disappointing way possible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a it was a it's, blowout that didn't feel like a blowout, which is always weird. yeah. Like it was like you know you're just like hey everybody played really well, but I could, I still had this thing to complain about. Like everybody just had that little nagging if, but that's kind of what happens when you play a bad team. They drag you down to their level. That's true. Boy, is Arkansas a bad team. God. But maybe better than Tennessee. Yeah, which is embarrassing. Yeah, because Tennessee was a team that I was kind of high on in the preseason. And I felt I had pretty good reasons for liking Tennessee. I was like, if they could just find a quarterback, they could be a sleeper. And instead, they didn't find a quarterback. And the season just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And... They got I, I smoked can't. by Mizzou, who Mizzou has improved from how terrible they were early on in the year, but uh, Mizzou's not good. Yeah. I mean, this is a team that beat Georgia Tech in its opener. Yeah, they did. That was a fun and game. Georgia Tech's, and Georgia Tech's pretty good. Yep. And really, since then, they've just been awful. I don't know quite where the season went off the rails, but... I mean, you look at their results, and it's kind of like, I know it has, but I don't know the exact moment. Because, you know, I guess, I mean, they, they got blown out by Alabama and Georgia, but who hasn't? Yeah. You know, they, the they, lost, game. They, they, they lost the Florida, Florida game. Yeah, they blew that game. They only lost by six. Maybe they that was the where Carolina. they lost the, the mental edge or something. Yeah, probably. That's where they lost the mental edge. Yeah, I, I agree with that. They lost to Carolina by six. They lost to Kentucky by three. So they lost, like... Three or four games by a single score. Yeah, Admir- Yeah, those are competitive losses. But man, if they last week that was the turn. You know, <laughs> if anything, that was a turning point. They lost to Missouri fifty to seventeen. That's that's unbelievably bad. Yeah, it's remarkable. Has anyone asked Ed this week about returning to Knoxville? I know he was um, just an assistant. I don't think so. I feel like that would be a storyline. I mean, he left left inauspiciously with Kiffin. I mean, he's part of that almost burning down Knoxville thing. I don't know. I think it's that Tennessee is so bad right now that their opponent is irrelevant. Like, no one in the Tennessee media cares because they're all talking just about the coaching search. Yeah, so they're not asking those questions. I mean, if they were six and two right now, they'd be asking that question. And I don't think LSU really cares because Tennessee's so bad that's kind of just like, oh god, let's just get through this game. <laughs> and, and also, you don't want to like, you don't want to turn this into a good game. Yeah, but you know, that's not the media's job to not give them bulletin board material. <laughs> so it, it is weird that no one from like the advocates asked that question. Yeah, that's what I was surprised. Just or like you know, that's, no, Jacques Duche or yeah. something. You know, just to or you know, we have we have Gilbo. You think he would just be stirring the pot? <laughs> that's true. Just, just do it. Because you know he really hasn't had a whole lot of pot stirring to do recently. You know, I was I uh, I was looking through my phone the other day, and I have um, from time to time I will stash tweets from that I think are really stupid. <laughs> for later Elish, later use and I found like a Dan Wolken one so I'm waiting for the appropriate moment to retweet it uh, no, that's, 
But it was, I can't get it to open now. They, uh, you can use the um, the cartoon that the Bama guys always uh, use. Oh God, I know they yeah. hate him. Oh man, they like it's. They hate everybody. Like that is true. I, I I do not understand a fan base that is actually angry that we're not upset that we lost. This is the like. I, yeah, I agree. <laughs> there. I've lost people on, on Bama on Bama Twitter and. Not all of them, but there's definitely a sizable contingent of Bama fans who are legitimately upset that LSU fans aren't really mad about the Bama game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Sorry, they, really, on. they really want us to be mad. And we're kind of like, yeah, you're better this year. You know? <laughs> yeah. That went about as expected. It's like, See oh, you guys year. are just giving up. You guys are just giving up and blah, blah, blah. We're like, man, it's not really giving up. It's more like <laughs> pacing ourselves and saying <laughs> – we looked at the whole schedule going, that one's not a winnable game. <laughs> like, if we win it, cool, but we're not going to get. <laughs> and also, this is the same year we lost to Troy. We, we've already spent our anger on losses to teams from Alabama. Um, <laughs> I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the expectation level just changes. Yeah, and if we enter that game with one loss, yeah, certainly if we were undefeated, but. Much bigger game. But also, yeah. it's like two losses. Now we have three, and we're where we said we would be. Like, we have a chance to win out and get to a pretty good bowl. Um, I, I do think the, the A&M game will be a tough one. I don't think they're totally inept. They're not. But it is in, it is in Tiger Stadium and a night. It is. Event, so that helps. Yeah. And I, Though I with the weird uh, Thanksgiving crowd, which is always like this. Yeah, you never know. Sometimes it's yeah. Sometimes and also since it'll be the only night game, I think I think the crowd will be bigger and louder than you would expect. Yeah, and the last effects. one of the year, I think that'll be a good one. But yeah, I think it, it, the Tennessee game I think is just the extension of the Arkansas game where everyone's sitting around going, "Okay, we're going to win this." Unless we just do unless we blow it horribly, LSU is going to win this game. So it comes down to that final weekend in A&M you're really not playing for anything as AM other than the, the keep the streak alive, which is funny. And to get you know, just general <laughs> Yeah. And also just general rivalry talk. Yeah. But it's not like, you know, we'll be playing for the sugar bowl or anything. No, not unless something crazy happens these next couple weeks. But you know, it'd be nice to go to the Citrus Bowl. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna, you know, turn my nose up at that. Well, this relates to that subject. This is Woken, not to the Citrus Bowl, but to how LSU finished or is finishing. Because Woken tweeted, this was in September. Uh, I'm a, September 30th, so that's right after we lost to Troy, right? Yeah. It has to be. Okay. Uh, yesterday, a college football coach's agent called me. All he said was, LSU hired Ed Ogeron. We laughed for a few minutes, which, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Uh, not so funny anymore, I guess. But my faith. I'm waiting for the right moment to deploy that. I'm still trying to think of a good joke with it. But um, the best is the first person that replies who has 189 retweets and 376 favorites. So good day for uh, Chris Reisner, whoever you are. Um, You're never going to hear this. But he tweeted, Tennessee Twitter, this is as bad as it gets. LSU Twitter, hold my gumbo and beer. Which is hilarious in hindsight, considering (laughs) (laughs) the way the seasons went. Well, at least we lent them gumbo and beer. I mean, that was nice of us. That's like, pretty much we, all we do. Yeah, it's like, hey, things are bad. Have some gumbo. 
It's not that bad, is it? Um, yeah, like, I mean, my opinion of Ed has changed as the year has gone on. I've been much more impressed with him the last two months. Uh, and I, I do think the Troy loss was kind of one of those necessary evils. I'm yeah. not really upset. I'm not really upset about it now, considering how he responded to it. Um, I do think overall, my opinion hasn't changed in the fact that I still think he's a caretaker hire, but I think he's a better caretaker hire than I thought two months ago. If that makes any sense. Sure. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think they're keeping Orgeron for, you know, a decade. But what I've settled on is I think the only thing we know right now is that we basically hired end of tenure less miles. Yeah. At worst. I, th- I don't think it'll get – that said, we're still dealing with a lot of – we're playing with a lot of players that – from a roster that Miles directed. And I know Ed was here for some of the recruiting, obviously, but head coach still gets the final call, structures the roster, yeah. all of that stuff. I agree. So, you know, like my buddy is a Michigan fan. Um he tweeted – he like texted me. He was like, oh, yeah, on MGO blog that they're calling it Brady Hoke versus Cajun Brady Hoke. They, they love to call Ozier on Cajun Brady Hoke, um, which is kind of funny because Brady Hoke and Jim Harbaugh now have, I think, the same record. Yeah, like time. where does Michigan get off talking shit about our hire? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, but uh, to their point, if we're going to consider – if we consider that a even argument worth having, there is some concern that like – What's he going to do once he gets his players installed? Are they going to be as good? And, like, I, I'm not super amped about this recruiting class right now. It's a good class, but it's not, like, blow your door. It's not like – like, Kirby Smart's class last year was unbelievable. That's um, true. So, like, and, and he was sucking, that. but, like, he was also pulling in, like, a top three class in the nation. And you're kind of like, oh, okay. But also, like, part of the reason he got hired is, like, he's the recruiting thing. I mean, that was, yeah. you know, one of your big points is, like, look, this guy is here to just bring in the talent. Yeah, also so, I'm aware it's November and there are a yeah. lot of time left for him to rocket that class and, up. So. Uh, something that's really going to help him is how many SEC coaches are getting fired. That is because a lot of guys a lot of guys we were out on were suddenly back in. Yeah, so because, in the uh, well, you know, if I like Bud Elliott wrote about FSU this week and sort of their sort of odd positioning and recruiting because they're not going hard after a lot of guys because Jimbo might fire the entire staff and you don't want to go. It's sort of like what Ogeron was doing last year where we weren't taking official visits and stuff because it's sort of a disservice to the recruits. You don't know who's going to be there. Why would they waste a visit if you don't know who the coach is going to be and all that stuff? Yeah. So Jimbo's doing the same thing. So I'm sure they are starting to pick over the carcasses of these teams, Florida already, Tennessee now, who lost a five-star offensive lineman. Uh, Florida State is looking – Shaky, whether Jimbo stays yeah. there. Texas A&M, of course. Arkansas doesn't really recruit on our level, but but still, it's things. like you know, you look around and you're just like, all of a sudden, like things you would guys who I think we were out on, I, I think might be coming around. I mean, I'm trying to see like how the state is looking. Do we know how? Like just how. Louisiana's looking for this year. Like, it's a, it's a down kind of a, year in state generally, um, but we're doing pretty good at like landing who there, who's there. Because yeah, you know the big thing is you say 
like because uh, you want to lock down the state is kind of the the classic. You know, this is what Louisiana LSU recruiting is: is you want to get Louisiana guys. And what was concerning is, you know, a couple months ago there was almost no LSU recruits in the top ten. But even worse, they were all committed to other schools. And if you look at it now, I'll just pull up two four seven. A lot of those guys who were committed are no longer committed. I mean, the LSU guys are still committed, but guys who were previously committed to other schools have kind of backed off their commitment. And I don't know if LSU is back in them or not. Um, you still have two Kansas guys in the top ten, and that just—I uh, can't believe that's going to last. I mean, well, the number five, uh, Devonta Jason or WAP, yeah. as they call him, um, is widely expected to flip to us. <laughs> so, yeah, like I don't think and, we even uh, have an offer out to Corey and Harris. Um, yeah, but so. if you look at the top, you know, you look at the top five. Actually, I'll make it the top six because he's also open. All right, the top six. Number six is Lawrence Keys the third. Yep, um, he's one of four wide receivers in the top five. Which <laughs> the top is six. Unbelievable. Yeah. So you're you're obviously not going to sign all four just because of positional reasoning, but he's a um, he's available. Like he's uncommitted. Um, we just talked about Jason Devonta, who's committed to Kansas, and I think is widely going to you know, flip to LSU. All right, then you have the big ones. Jamar Chase was a Florida commit, and he's now back in the running. Yep. yep. And I, I don't know LSU's chances at, on him. Probably not great. But there's uh, a chance. There's, there's, it's not no chance. Then you have the number three recruit in the state. And this is just two four sevens rankings, and you know you got to use somebody. Uh, Kelvin Joseph, who's in from Baton Rouge, he's a cornerback, former commit. So chances right now, if you had to put a percentage on it, I think everyone thinks he's going to wind up back at LSU. Okay. Um, then Justin Rogers is the only one who's committed. Uh, he's at TCU. <sighs> that one's weird. I mean, I, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. But why not? Well, TCU's been really loyal to him, and he had a horrific knee injury this year. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah, I forgot about it. He was the one that got really. Yeah, both those part those the top two. Terrace Marshall is the best player in the state. Um, is the big wide receiver, and virtually everyone thinks he's coming to LSU. Like national yeah. guys, local guys, whatever. Rogers is his quarterback. They both got injured this year, which is a really sad deal for them because they were kind of state championship trying to do all yeah. that. Yeah, Stafford um, Parkway who was you know wanted to put something up on their water tower. Exactly, um, and alum famous. Uh, Brandon Harris. That's his. Oh, okay. So, um, anyways, Rogers, I don't know. There's just never really, I think there's a shot there, but it feels like he's probably going to stick with TCU unless like staying home wins out. But I mean, Bozer city to Fort worth is probably not that far either. No, no, it's not, but that's practically Texas. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, and then you, you know, you just mentioned the number one recruit and Terrence Marshall, who you're also saying is an LSU lean at least. So, a map that a month ago was looking really unfriendly to LSU is looking a lot better, yep. mainly because of, because of decommits. And okay, in the top ten, they still only have three guys committed, and they're all in the you know rank seven, nine, and ten. But that top five used to be there used to be logos there, and now it's empty, which is what you want to see at this point. Definitely. The other thing is, is that so many of them are wide receivers. You're just not going to take four of the top six are wide receivers. You're not going to take four wide receivers. 
It's crazy because I'm pretty sure they have committable offers, and they already have commits. Well, number ten is a receiver commit. Keenan yeah, number ten is a receiver as well. So, and then number oh, where is he? He's a three star, but he he's really down. I guess I can't find yeah. him. Yeah, we have a three star commit that's a wide receiver as well in state. Jeray Jenkins, seventeen. So there's <laughs> I don't know. It's a loaded receiver class, and. Obviously, they want to take some. I mean, Ogeron made a big deal about this all offseason that they didn't have enough yeah, receivers I, I, for for Canada's offense. So it's a priority position, but how many are you going to take? We're going to take eight wide receivers, you know? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, so, but it does seem that things have gotten better. The map looks better. There, there's it, After the Troy loss, you're like, how is this team going – to end up with a good recruiting class. They already had like 17, 18 people in the barn and there weren't a whole lot of opportunities to improve. Now you can see, okay, they could get some of these guys. That's how they improve. Yeah, just yeah, as a targets. This is a, a tangential thing too, that one of the things Bud Elliott mentioned in his piece, this is a Florida state related piece, but in general, something he's observed this year is that recruiting rankings seem to be a little off. And Bud is like a well-established advocate for recruiting rankings. Uh, yeah. But he believes that this year that the services seem to be a bit off. And he thinks it's because, well, if you didn't know, 247 and Scout merged. And so okay. that was a big business initiative. Of course, they're trying to incorporate the sites and merge them all together and get the content and all blah, blah, blah. Um, so he thinks that that has sort of had some after effects in terms of Maybe they don't have as much time to devote to going out and evaluating kids, which if you look at LSU's commits, like some of these guys in state are like three-star kids that people have been waiting for them to get bumped up in ratings and they just haven't. So, you know, maybe they're better than their ratings indicate. Be- better than the rate. Yeah, that's that's very possible. I, I mean, I, let's put it like this. I think Orgeron has earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to evaluation. Yeah. I mean, because he doesn't just look at 247 in the morning and say, okay, this guy's the highest rated guy. I'm going to go get him. I mean, there's a little bit of that. I mean, there's a little bit of like, I'm going to get these five stars. But uh, they definitely he's been really good. a resource. Yeah. But he's been really good at saying, you know, this guy is a good three star. Yeah. You know, I see something that other people don't see. And that's, he can evaluate. Yeah. That happened a couple weeks ago. It's a 2019 kid, but this kid is not ranked on any site. And basically, Ensminger found him, and their coaches were like, you need to take a look at this kid. They, they put on this tape and immediately offered him because they were just yeah. so impressed. So they weren't going to – they weren't waiting around for, like, 247 to anoint the kid as a four-star, you know. And, you know, and that's what you like to see. You like to see guys that are – you know, the, the tape impresses, you know, and, and that you're not wait, waiting on the oh, – there we go. You're not waiting on the recruiting services. You know, be ahead of the game a little bit. Yeah. I think the class will finish strong. I'm curious to see what they do. Like, it's an interesting um, – it'll be interesting these next couple of weeks. Well, we have the early signing period that is really close. But with all the coach firings, that sort of throws that whole thing in a wrench. And it'll be interesting to see if they can go in and be like nabbing a kid that maybe was committed to Texas A&M or something. 
Because, yeah, like right now we're 17th in the rankings. And I, I don't – once you get to that level, I don't put too much stock in what number you're at. Um, but I think what's interesting is that Florida's still number nine, Florida State's 10, A&M's number 11. Mm-hmm. And that's prime recruiting territory for LSU. Absolutely. And honestly, if you look at it, the top 10 does not have a whole lot of uh, SEC teams. No, it's, it's a weird year. Georgia's sitting at number five, and that's it. Um, I'm sure Bama will eventually finish number one, but they only have 11 recruits right now. So, Yeah, it's kind of amazing how, I mean, low, 21 is really low for Alabama. Yes. At this point in the year. But so is 11 recruits. Yes. But not a single five-star. That's, you know, that's weird to see. Yeah, it doesn't feel like they're – I don't know why. I don't know why. Obviously, the dynasty is over. We should just back it up. Like yeah. they're they're done. Yeah, I think I think we've cracked the code. Who do they play this week? Um, Mercer. Oh, it's gonna be a tough one. It really is. But you know, looks Auburn has a layup game as well, and they're just both killing time so they can play the Iron Bowl. So I love the Iron Bowl. Is that bad? No, no, the Iron Bowl is a great game. I mean, it's a great football game. Why wouldn't you like it? Well, because it's two teams we're supposed to hate. I do hate both the teams, but it's still a great football game, you know. Yeah, it really is. I look forward to I, it every year. I, like, I don't know who I'm going to be rooting for if LSU can't win the title until about halftime. Yeah. Like, it kind of it reveals itself to me in the course of the game. Because this is a real dilemma for an LSU fan, if you think about it. On the one hand, you don't want Alabama to win because, you know, fuck Alabama. But on the other hand... Alabama's been winning a ton, and we're kind of used to it. Like, it's not like it gets worse. Like, their dominance has been so extreme that if they win again, it's not like it hurts anymore. Mm-hmm. Yet Auburn coming in and winning the West actually kind of would hurt, particularly because we beat Auburn this year. Yeah, I want that transitive win over Alabama. And it's you know, to me, it's like, oh, it could have been us. And it's not because, you know, you know, of stuff. And I, like I said, I, I haven't decided. It, it's, it's a dilemma going into it. I haven't decided who I hate more this week, you know, this year. Um, probably I'm going to root for Auburn just because uh, I want Bama to finally miss a playoff. They've never missed one. So I'm definitely rooting for Auburn. So. I like uh, Gus. I've always liked Gus. So, yeah, you know, I do. I do like Gus, but I mean, or I can just root for Georgia to beat Alabama when they play. So, well, I'm rooting for that too. Yeah, and I don't like Kirby. But yeah, I know because that, that feels Alabama e. I don't like that either. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. What you? I mean, you just touched on something saying that it feels like it could have been us. And we'll see what happens with O. You know, he has to build his own roster. And I, I do like some of the decisions he's made and some of the things he's doing. Our defensive line next year is going to be – should be incredible, um, which I think always sets you up for having a pretty good team, no matter the yeah. rest of your parts. Um, but that being said, it'll be interesting to see how this season is viewed once we get five years down the road because I think this could be looked at – I don't know if he'll get the leniency. In five years, people might look back and be like, that's kind of a lost season. Like, we should have done better, and we didn't. 
I think at the end of the year, it's going to be the transient year. You know, it's if you look at almost any coach, it's you know when they take over, there's a year where they just everybody gets spotted a year. Do you think people Nick remember Saban, that? Nick Saban gets spotted a year. Yeah, but he's won so much. Yeah, he's won so much. Yeah, you got to win later on, but also like the team prior, people were might forget because of the, what the final record was, but that team was loaded. So many people graduated off that team. That's very true. So and, you know, I, I think the thing is it's, it's the rebound from the Troy game. Uh, I think they'll be like, Hey, he salvaged his career by, you know, upsetting Auburn. Uh, I think it'll be more that than, Oh, he should have beaten Auburn and Alabama. Yeah. Well, I think uh, it helps that we just haven't looked as the season wars on has worn on, we haven't looked incompetent. Even in no. even against the Alabama, I know that like you weren't totally thrilled with the way it went down, but no, I we mean, didn't like, look I, like we were getting outplayed or something. No, we looked like a good team. I, yeah. I agree with that. It was more that just to beat Alabama, I'd rather just throw caution to the wind, which we weren't willing to do. Which I get. I think in the end that's the better coaching decision, but I, yeah, in the first half, I think we were, we look like the better team. I think – I guess what I'm getting at is you maybe or others that were very skeptical of the hire can probably breathe a sigh of relief that we didn't hire like a lemon. Yes. I, I, think that's, I think that's fair to say. We may not have hired a great coach, but we certainly just didn't – we're not going back to the Hallman years, I don't think. No, no. Well, I, honestly, I, I was more concerned he was Mike Archer. Yeah. You know, if I had to like pinpoint a coach that I thought he was going to be, it was Mike Archer. Um, and I don't, I don't think he's Mike Archer. Honestly, Mike Archer gets a little bit of a bad rap, so he does. I, I, I've I've forgiven Archer over the years, and he was a good defensive coordinator. He was. He was just a guy who got promoted to head coach too early in his career. He's still kicking around, isn't he? I know he was at Kentucky a few years ago. Yeah. And he was at NC State. Um, I don't know if he's still coaching, but yeah, he's he was at least five years ago. I know he was. Yeah, it's not too too old that he's been around. Yeah, he he's just a guy who he might have done better head coach had it come like four or five years later in his career. Just wasn't ready for it. And then he, it's kind of a shame he never got a second chance. It is. And so honestly, if you. If you want to compare it to Mike Archer, to follow out that analogy, this is if Mike Archer got his second chance. You know, because Ed O, you know, botched his job at Ole Miss, but he probably got promoted too quickly. He definitely did. And so that's a very – that's the Archer comparison. And this is – I don't want to say this is what would have happened if Mike Archer had gotten a second chance, but it is kind of an insight that – just because a guy failed at his first job doesn't mean he's going to fail at the second if he learns lessons. Yeah. Um, I've been reading uh, uh, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Have you read that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read that. Pretty fun little book. Um, but yeah, like one of his central themes of that of that book specifically is that we give up on people too early, and that practice essentially has a lot to do with you succeeding. You know, like. Talent is, a, is essentially on a threshold, and there's there are very few people that are just exceptionally far more talented than others, but that's a very small population, and the rest of us are sort of all sort of muddled in the middle and close, and what really causes people to distinguish themselves is practice and that they work harder, and so, I don't know, O might be a case of that. 
Yeah. Also, there's luck, which that's true. No, no one really likes to point out, but luck's a pretty big factor. And honestly, O got lucky. You know, he came back to LSU at the exact right time. Yep. You know, all the cards fell in the you know fell in the place in the exact right way. He's lucky to have this gig. He never would have got it if Miles hadn't hired him to be the defensive line coach. That's exactly right. And but he also needed Miles to not do well in that previous year. And LSU lost two games by less than a score. Yeah. Either of them could have gone the other way. <sighs> As the world turns, that's called yeah, football I mean, in this age. Yeah, no, and that's well, it's every age. Like luck has a lot to do in who wins a close game, and so Edo got lucky, and that's. But he was in the right place at the right time, and it's worked out for him so far. It didn't look like it was working out at first, but he, I, I am definitely a lot happier now. And I know there's an element of well, he's playing easier teams now, but he did beat Auburn, and he got to that hellacious stretch. And there was a point it looked like this was a team that was going to be one of those easy games. For sure. I mean, I mean, the mere fact that LSU has easy games speaks to how well the job he's done. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, it's interesting because I feel like next year's team, I think, should be better overall, like talent level. There's some issues, things to be worried about. But, of course, with every team, there's things to be worried about. Yeah. But the schedule is so much harder. Yeah, I mean, I know we talked in the previous before this year started. Uh, people were trying to hype up the schedule as difficult, and I was having none of that. I think I was proven right on that. The schedule's garbage. I don't, I don't uh, think anyone could have even you could have anticipated this having just the worst. Bad, yeah, well, even I, the I worst BYU team in like twenty years. That's true, but but yeah, I think it, you you were proven correct. This was a bad schedule. Um, that said, um, yeah, next year, what, we start with Miami? Yeah, in Dallas. I mean, that, that's that's a big one. What worries me about next year is that we won't have that running back. I've seen a lot of people say that, and I feel like running back is the position that is so, I don't want to call it dispensable, but it's a position you could like the 2011 team. We didn't have a star running back. We just ran out there with like Ford and Ware and a little bit yeah, of Hilliard. Was Spencer Ware a former five star recruit? He was, but he never really like played he up. Played the that. NFL pretty well. Like Spencer Ware was pretty damn good. Um, I do agree with you. He didn't quite play that well in college, but yeah, he ha- he has since righted the ship. There was a he was a guy that you were expecting to be yes. maybe not special, but you know. You were expecting to be good. For sure. I don't know who's going to get the carries next year. Yeah, that's true. And we have we don't have anyone that, you know, Brosette fumbled against Troy. I don't think he's seen the field since, which I disagree with. But Yeah, I don't like that. Like, I want Brosette, you know, Hilaire. These guys need to see the field. We need to see yeah. what we have. Yeah. Um, this is a – well, that's a, this week is a good chance for that. <laughs> and, and this is the thing we talked about. It's like the one thing I like to see on the recruiting trail. I'd love to see him pulling a big running back, but I just don't know who's out there. There's not really – I mean, there's a – we have a couple committed, and they're like more of the three-star or low four-star variety. And then there's a, like a top 150 kid named Harold Joyner from Alabama that really likes yeah. us. We're probably going to get him. All right. If we – because we can sell playing time. This is the and the, what's funny is the one time we can truly sell that you can come in as a freshman and play is the one time there isn't a truly special running back out there. Yeah, it's weird. 
So that's just well, speaking of luck. That's a little bit of bad luck. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting situation, but I, I do think they'll go with the. I don't think we'll have a a real unless just like Daryl Williams to me put in the work this off season to be the lead back, and he just unfortunately had to deal with playing with Darius Geis. Yeah, but if Daryl Williams had been our lead back the whole season, he probably would have like twelve hundred yards or something. Like he he would have had a nice year. Yeah, I I think that's fair. So I I, unless someone, my point is unless someone does that, like Brosette, who is a four four star, then we're probably going to have a bunch of guys with a low number of carries. Which you know I can live with. We've done that before. Yeah, but and also it's a Canada offense, and I know a lot of people are really worried about the receiving core. I'm not as worried about it. That's funny for I, you. I was, more, I was more worried about it coming into this year. I thought yeah. this year's receiving core was going to be terrible. Um, they haven't been. They've actually shown. I don't want to quite go as great, but you know, Chark has really impressed me. Um, yeah, Chark's been good. Yeah, Char- Chark has been the number one he promised us that he was going to be. And look, that, he, he talked a big game in the offseason. He's largely delivered on that. And that's – I'm impressed by that kind of thing. Um, but I do think – well, Anderson hasn't shown a whole lot. I, I think Dylan and Sullivan have shown that they can step up into a larger role. Yeah, I, this is one of those things where – and I, I talked about this a little bit in the comments of – I don't know if it was your piece or mine or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Um Maybe a self-revelation that I'm harsh on Danny Etling in part because I'm frustrated that the offense didn't take more steps forward. Because by and large, yes, it looks different. It's getting done in a different way. So I'm not saying it's the same offense. But it's yeah. it's a lot of like in Les Miles' offense. We are a run-heavy team. We don't throw the ball that much. Yeah. And so there's just not opportunities for these guys that like if they played for, I don't know, any a lot of other teams – there would just be more targets for them. Yeah, I, that's the thing. Is the reason kind of you want to see Brennan play is you want to see him slinging around a little bit. <laughs> but also what I've liked about Sullivan so much, uh, other than just his physical attributes, I mean he just looks like a receiver, is when Etling has put it together in the intermediate game, it's normally to Sullivan. Yeah. Not always. But Sullivan strikes me as the guy who has been able to get those 15-yard receptions that have just been missing from the offense. The explosive plays. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking more 10, 15 yards. Like, I know. Yeah, I, I'm trying to avoid that because <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't care. Like, I mean, it's more oh, – Chark is obviously our big play receiver. No, I know. I, I, my joke totally interrupted your point, but I, I know where you're going with that. Yes, I agree with you. Is that Sullivan – what we've missed is, you know, to you know, basically DJ Chark is our Odell Beckham. We've been missing the Jarvis Landry. Yeah, that's a good point. And Sullivan is the is the Jarvis Landry type, where he can actually get those intermediate receptions. You know, when you need a first down reception, Sullivan's been the guy he's kind of looked for, and he's come through. Edling made a lot of big third down conversion throws against Arkansas. Now, agreed, it's Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, but. You can tell he's getting more and more comfortable, and also, more importantly, Sullivan's getting more and more comfortable getting those balls. I mean, Sullivan is like 6'6", 240. He should be fucking unstoppable. Like, there should be no one that can defend him because he can run, too. He's not like a – he's not a slug out there. No, and also, like, Chark gets those routes because he's the senior, and I get it. Yeah. 
I, I think Sullivan will get those routes next year because that's how things work. You get bumped up the depth chart. But he's done everything I've wanted him to do. The guy who concerns me is D. Anderson. He's really done nothing. I'm well. He, he had a catch this week. Didn't he? Yeah. Wow. Wasn't that his first in his career? Uh, I think so. But he also yeah. was suspended or injured or something early yeah. on. He wasn't even practicing for like half the year. So I, I'll give him some break. Yeah. Give him, and Dylan is the guy who's just been really. He's been the inconsistent one, but he's shown flashes. But where's Jake Davis? Like that's he's just disappeared. Yeah. When you're the number two guy on the depth chart, or the, you know number three, inconsistent is kind of okay if that makes any sense because that's because next year I want you to put it together. Last year Chark was inconsistent and he put it together. Yeah, Gage was inconsistent and he put it together. Yeah, he's so been he sort of the breakout. Yeah, Gage has done it more because no one has done more with the jet sweep than he has. He's Gage is going to get himself drafted, which I think is. Insane. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, he, he is really – he has shown himself to be a tough little runner. Um, I remember when he when we, when we he committed, I was like – it was late in the process and he didn't really have many offers. I think like he had a two-lane offer and he was probably going to go to two-lane. And we came through with an offer and he was log, largely thought to be a defensive back. And I think I you could probably go find my commitment piece. And I was like, I don't know. I mean he looks okay. But you know, I wasn't too excited about him because it's like he, he looks like a yeah, he's, he's a fine player, but he doesn't look like someone that we're gonna like build a anything around. And now he's well, like, he's been one of yeah, the best man, players on our offense. Yeah, because he fits so well into the Canada offense. You know, who knows who's gonna be the one who fits in. So I'm not too concerned about the receiving core going forward. I mean, I'd like more receivers. I would, you know, there definitely will be a chance for a freshman to play. But I don't think it's the wasteland that we saw coming in this year where, like, nobody had any receptions behind Chark. Yeah. I mean, we were talking like our leading receiver was Darius Geis. <laughs> like, and Geis, I mean, he's a good receiver, but he's not a great one. So, sure. yeah, we? as we look forward, I, I'm more concerned about running back than wide receiver, which kind of puts me at odds with most people, you know. The general feel, I think, of the team. I just always feel like a, a running back is I, I don't want to say replaceable, because you don't replace like Fournette or Geis, but and, and that's what I think it is, is that we're so used to having it, we've had it for so long now. It's been four years of just a truly special running back. Well and Hill before that, so it's even longer. Yeah, it's been, yeah, five you know, five, six years. But I will say the last two years, well, I'll just say the last year because Geis pick, got to play last year. This year we haven't really had guys. Yeah, not fully realized. So, should we do the questions? Yeah, let's move on to the questions. Well, I'm opening this up a stray thought because there's been some more like Chip Kelly. I think there's probably a question about this, but right. Chip Kelly to Florida rumors, and I, I think a lot of LSU fans like to mock that idea. I get it. I kind of hope it happens. I don't know if it'll work or not. I've always liked Chip Kelly. I think yeah. he's more suited to be a college coach than a pro coach. His recruiting Chip, is really questionable. That's the issue right there. Chip, Chip Kelly is not known as a good recruiter. And he would need to have a defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator who is one hell of a, rec- a recruiting guy. Like if Chip Kelly got hired and then Ed Orgeron was hired as his defensive coordinator, I'd be really worried. 
just to, you know, throw out, I mean, clearly Edo is not going to take a demotion, but you see what I'm saying? Like a guy like that who has a a great reputation, but I'm trying to think of a defensive, a coordinator right now who has that great recruiting rep. I mean, they have have, Shannon. Most of them are promoted to head jobs right now. So I don't, that's going to be his big issue. Um, I do think like they can offload a lot of the stuff he, he hates doing um, the publicity and stuff like that. Steve Spurrier, who would happily do it. Yeah. You know, you know, so I think he can get off on that. Uh, but yeah, recruiting would be the biggest. But then again, like how hard is it to recruit at Florida? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, there's a, there is a point that you don't have to travel that much because all the towns right there in Florida. I know. I I just don't like uh, LSU he, fans are pointing and laughing, and I don't think it's quite the disaster that don't point imagining. and laugh at a guy who is that good of a coach. Yeah, that's kind of my thing. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of like there was some attitude when Saban left the Dolphins and came back that it wasn't going to work, and they're like, ha ha ha, look where Alabama is now, and they're going to stay that way, and uh, yeah, that didn't work out. Well, yeah, and it's also like uh, like I, th- I saw another name that said, oh, they shouldn't hire. Uh, um, Chip Kelly, they should totally hire Willie Taggart. You're like, really? Like, what skins in the wall does Taggart have? Yeah. I mean, I like Willie Taggart, but I mean, are we going to laugh off Chip Kelly and say, you know, Taggart's the sure thing? Yeah, that's that's crazy to me. Yeah. Anyways, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. All yeah. right, so here we go. Uh, not a ton of questions, but we got a few. Uh, Ryan Dewey asks our favorite 2018 QB prospect. Uh, I'm going to go on a limb and say you probably haven't looked much at the QB prospects. No, that's all you. Um, I don't know. I ha- Honestly, I haven't spent just a ton of time with all of them. The Cameron Rising kid is probably – he's pretty stellar. Um, but I, I don't know if we're going to get back into that. I doubt it. Um, of the ones that's realistic, probably Gary Bohannon. I think he has the most physical tools of anybody that could totally fall. You know, that can always fail, but I think LSU's in a really good position right now to take a pure upside play at quarterback and not like need him to hit necessarily. And I think you have time to develop someone like Bohannon who has like all these physical tools. He's big. He can throw in a mile. He can run, but he's just raw. Um, Yeah, because next year you got two freshmen, basically. Yeah, Yeah, so you got some time for like – Bohannon's not going to be coming in and expected to play. If he comes in and takes the job from them, then well, hell yeah. I mean, but you don't need him to, I guess. So Yeah. That's why I like him. And I think he was on campus this weekend, and we probably have a realistic shot at getting him, so – yeah, he's willing to make his visit the Arkansas game. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, okay, Christina, how do you feel about playing on Saturday after Thanksgiving instead of on Friday? Um, she hates it. I mean, I, I mean, I hate playing after Thanksgiving. Period. I mean, that whole weekend is kind of a loss. At the end of the day, it's probably better to play on Friday than Thursday because it's a little bit closer to people staying in town if they're going to stay in town. Mm-hmm. But. I don't think it matters. And at that point, you know, Saturday night and, you know, Tiger Stadium, you know, either one's fine. I I hate the whole Thanksgiving weekend. It's a death slot, but everybody's got to deal with it. So it's not like we're singled out. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, I don't know. I'm indifferent to it. I don't, I never get worked up about game times or dates. Yeah, it's a just lot of like, people I, get mad about it. I don't, it just never moves the needle for me. The Thanksgiving game just doesn't feel right. I remember when I was a student, like everyone's off campus because everyone went home. It's just it's just a meh game. I've you know I've come back for the games. It's, the stadium's never quite yeah at full. It's it's a day after Thanksgiving. People have stuff to do. Like so, there's no that whole weekend's just a bad weekend. But you know people want their college football and. That's also a traditional time to play, so we deal with it. Yep, I agree. Um, John Destiny, do, uh, do we think Hoke is going to rally the balls? I think we kind of answer this. I don't, but no, no, he's not. He's not going to rally the balls. I, I joked to my wife about this because I think Hoke is such a clear choice for their interim coach because he has head coaching experience and there is 0% chance anyone would want to hire him to be the coach. Yeah. yeah, He's there's not much to recommend him. And yeah. And like you're saying, players were already just like, meh, whatever. It's like the Viking funeral. Like he's just riding that flaming boat out into the middle of the water. At least he won't be be blamed for it. No, no one will care. Like they can lose by 70 and they'll be like, well, sorry, you were left with this shit show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jacob Hibbard over under 30% 30 I don't know what I'm confused by his question over under uh, do you think Mullen is still in Stark Vegas next year he put he said 30% I don't is that how many 30% odds on the under I'll take the over then because I mean I think it's close to 50-50 so I'll take whichever one gets me better odds um He's, I mean, he's always wanted out. Mm-hmm. Um, he's n- never really made that a secret. It's just, it's a hard job to win at, so it's hard to build a resume. And then he's kind of been slapped with the label of a small-time coach, which I think is unfair. Um, I think he's a really good coach. I think Florida would could do a lot worse than hiring Dan Mullen. Um, I think LSU could have done a lot worse than hiring Dan Mullen. Um, I agree. Yeah, he he's a really good head football coach, and I think it's a shame that more schools haven't tried to seriously hire him. Actually, the team that should hire him is Tennessee. If he's won at Stark Vegas, he he can win at Knoxville. Yeah, that's an interesting. And people like to and people like to talk about how tough it is to win in Tennessee, and like how the um, the recruiting base isn't there, which I don't entirely buy. Tennessee's a pretty loaded state for uh, high school football talent. Yes, I know a lot of it's in Memphis, but it's still in the state, and that still matters. Um, and honestly, that would help him because he's been at you know Mississippi State. He probably has some good inroads there. Um, I don't think Florida is going to hire him just because I think Florida is going to look at that as beneath them, which is ridiculous. That's funny because I totally think they are. I mean, I I would like it if they did because I think he's earned it, but I don't think they are. I, I think they're they still think too much of themselves. Um, I think they view him like a Ron Zook. Yeah. I mean, I could see that attitude, but considering their AD is his former boss. It's true. They want a quarterback guy. He kind of has that. Yeah. He's done great. If I'm Tennessee, I try and hire him. I, I think he would do a great job. in yeah. Tennessee. I, I think he's gone though. I do. I think he'll go somewhere. I think it'll be Florida, but I, you know, I just think he'll take, he'll finally have that other job this year. He should get an offer. Like, that's the thing. Like, how can he not? 
Yeah. The, the problem is, is what other like if he gets offered by Arkansas, no, you don't take that job. State's a better job at this point. You think so? I think if you're coming into from it from the outside, but if you're Dan Mullen, you're already at Mississippi State. I don't think it's the cost of going to Arkansas is worse. Does that make sense? Because he's the the bridges you'd have to burn, and then you know the sheer hatred Mississippi State would play over year makes Arkansas a tougher job because you'd have a program dedicated to destroying you. It just seems like they probably have way more resources, though. Yeah, there's. I don't know. Arkansas doesn't has never really invested. Yeah. At an SEC level, I mean, like, but if I'm like a nothing, I don't want to say nothing. If I'm coming from the outside, if I'm, you know, coaching the Sun Belt, I would choose Arkansas over State. But if I'm already at State, I can't justify moving over to Arkansas. Maybe we'll go to A and M. Yeah, if A and M gave him an offer. But I, I think God, they are so lined up to hire uh, what, uh, Chad Morris. You would think so. So, but maybe he'll pull a reverse Jackie Sherrill. <laughs> Go from state to A&M instead of the other way around. That would be great. I, I would love to reverse Jackie Sherrill. I'm not going to steal the line. That's, that's outstanding. Okay. Um, all right. We got Richard Gretzinger, who I think is a new question asker. If you've asked a question before, I apologize. Um, first of all, he says he loves our show. It's his favorite. So this is clearly a made up person. Clearly. I, my, my secret account is working. Good job. (laughs) We caught you talking in third person on your, your account, just like Kevin Durant. (sighs) Okay. So he says, I'm just reading these as they go here. So I don't know. Uh, I believe in NCAA hockey drafted players can play until they sign with an Asian NFL team. Uh, or an NHL team, if they did that in football, would that be a good or bad thing? Um, actually, I would love it if uh, players could sign with an agent even before they sign with a f- football program. Like, I think high school kids should be allowed to have agents. Yeah, at this point. But, um, because it's such a big decision that will impact them in the future. I mean, you'd have to figure out the regulations on it. I don't think you just willy-nilly just do it. Um, but yeah, I think the hockey system is pretty cool. Uh, for people who don't know, um, the draft takes place and there's juniors, which is like professional junior hockey in Canada. And then there's the NCAA. So players get drafted and players can go back to college provided they don't sign. Um, I think it's like they don't sign with an agent so they can go back, but their rights are retained by, the team for like another year. Baseball is the so, same way, right? No, baseball. Yeah, they were. Well, baseball now has a thing where they, it's like thirty days, and then they're done. Yeah. They go back, and this is like a guy. Like so, right now, the, since I'm a big Caps fan, they have a guy in their system who's playing college hockey, and so people are like following his college career because they're assuming as soon as his college career is over after this season, he's going to sign as soon as you know this season's over because the caps will retain his rights <coughs> moving up into the draft, which would be a kind of an interesting way to do the draft. Cause that way guys could, wouldn't have to renounce their eligibility to go into the draft, mm-hmm. you know? And then like, if a guy got drafted, like say in like the fourth round, he could say, all right, you know, I'm not going to sign right away. I'm going to come back for my next year of school. But then like, as it gets closer and closer, he places, you know, 
there'd be kind of kind of the bidding war where he could get more than slot money, sort of like baseball. Yeah. Or he could then play out his year and the team is like saying, hey, these are the things we want you to work on when you're in college, da 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 and kind of treat it like a little bit more like a minor league team. And then as soon as he gets out, they sign him and they can go straight to the NFL team and he doesn't have to go through the draft again. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's some merit to that. I, I, I wouldn't be against it. I, I, I'd like players – I like interesting solutions like that. I like players to get paid. Um, I don't understand why they can't sign agents. I think they totally should. Those are that's someone who a third party that has an interest in your career and you not getting screwed over. And so many of these guys are planning on pro careers. I think one of the biggest decisions you make is signing day. He he tags onto this question with um, would that turn the NCAA into like. An NFL minor league, and under that system, potentially, are NFL teams and agents just steering their recruits to football factories? But I think that's already kind of happening. Yeah, that's already happening, and they do that in basketball. That's kind of what the big yeah. lawsuit's about. But honestly, I would kind of like that. Like, I think players should be able to sign with an agent, and then the agent says, "Okay, this is the list of school we supply to. You can sign with one of them. We don't care which one." Yeah. Yeah, you know, like you know, there's there's only so many shoe companies, like. If you sign with, you know, Nike, yeah, your options are pretty open. It's an interesting thought. I, so, I, I think we should probably have this. I mean, we've talked about amateurism on the pod before. Um, I don't know what it does to the NCAA. I, we're both pro pay players. I don't like the idea of it being a minor. Like, I don't like the idea that college football is a feeder for the NFL because I think the NFL I agree sucks. And yeah, I don't want it to I, turn I, into that. Like, yeah, I like that it's a different game. I like that Georgia Tech runs its crazy offense. Yeah. and It's a more innovative game. I totally agree with that. Like, I don't want it to just be guys working on not just getting drafted, but like that I don't mind. It's I don't want them working on their pro skills kind of thing. It's it's also problematic, the whole – I know everyone is like, well, their degree is their payment. But that – I mean, honestly, once it's, it's a bit of a facade. Like. What? My thing is, once you've conceded that, we're just talking price. Yeah. If, if your whole thing is, though, well, they just get paid their degree, okay, then you've admitted they're getting paid. Then why do you don't want them to get a raise? Have they not earned a raise? <laughs> yeah. And it's I mean, not you exactly know a well-kept secret that, like, they all get, like, the college football degree. You know? Like, there's a, there's honestly, a, a sliver why, of them that don't. This is one of my big things. Why can't you marry a major in football? Right. I mean, like, if it was a serious, academically rigorous major, I'm not saying, like, take joke classes. I'm saying, like, you know, take kinesiology courses, take an economics class, take, you know, business. You need to take marketing. You know, I think some of your football practices could be lab hours. I think you can make a really serious case that there could be a degree for that, just like there is for band. No one, you know, looks at someone who's majoring in music and thinks that, you know, that's a joke major. My wife has a master's degree in music. Yeah, that's an interesting proposal that I hadn't considered. Um, cause I was just going down the route of like the student, the student athlete part of the student athlete, yeah. the student part of the student athlete equation is tenuous at best. <laughs> a lot of times, yeah. I mean, if you, I think even if you ask the players off the record, they'd be like, yeah, I'm a football student. That's what yeah, I Yeah, exactly. So why, why deny it? Like, like actually give them an education they can use. Yeah, they do need to be equipped with a lot of those life skills. Like I was having this is totally unrelated to football. My wife and I were talking about the other day that from our alma mater, 
it was a, an elective for you to take like a personal finance class. You can only take it as a senior. It makes a ton of sense. Like that should have been required for yeah. every single graduating person because so many people go out into the wild and they don't know what the fuck credit cards are. They don't know how to handle interest rates and they get way into some, debt because they do stupid things because they never were educated on it. And honestly, they get screwed in college because, you know, yeah. they set up those tables to, you know, recruit college kids before, you know, they even have a job. So, yeah, it should be a freshman course. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think you can make a very strong case for these kids to be educated on things like personal finance and, yeah, like health and physical fitness which are honestly branches of their careers that they, most of them wind up doing. They end up becoming coaches. Yeah, exactly. And that's my thing. Like, I'm not saying that we're putting them all into the NFL. We're putting them into how to be football coaches. You know, they have to take make them take teaching classes. So they know the basics of teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, send them, you know, we have a very good uh, teaching school. <laughs> you know, LSU's education school is really good. It'd be good if the – they didn't just coach just because they can coach football. Like it'd be good if they actually had the skills on how to, you know, manage a classroom. Yeah. You're setting these people up with life skills, which is really the whole fucking point of college in the first place. Yeah. But yeah, most of them are not going to become, you know, you know, whatever. Like, you know, there's not, you know, not all of them are going to be, not many of them are going to become finance majors. Yeah. Maybe, you know, there's always a few. Not many of them are going to be electrical engineers. There's always a few. But like so – and they should be allowed to major in electrical engineering if they want to major in electrical engineering. Of course. But there should also be a major that's that suits what they're planning their life, their life to be. You know, give them a degree that they can actually use. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, that was good. To see. I, I think we should do yeah. another pod on this, but I, yeah, I had no, never I, considered the, that idea, and I, I like your proposal. That's an off-season thing. We'll, we'll table that. But yes, sometime in the off-season, reforming college football. <laughs> uh, okay, Ryan Dewey asked two questions that we answered earlier. One was Chip Kelly to UF, and then he asked about receivers carrying the load. So I think we addressed those things. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. And then Timmy. Lang asked the same question about Chip Kelly. Uh, Jacob Hibbert, again, um, wants to know what will be Danny's legacy at LSU. I don't know. I, don't know. I think he's going to be a guy who's going to be remembered for being tough. Yeah. I think that would definitely be part of his legacy. But I think it would be a guy who stepped in when they needed him you know, to step in, and he, you know, he, he did. I don't think he's going to be remembered as a great, but I do think he'll be remembered as a leader. He'll be the handsomest quarterback in LSU history. Very handsome. And also, I think there's a chance he'll be remembered as the guy who stopped the run of terrible quarterbacks. But that all depends on Miles Brennan. (laughs) Yeah. The irony. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, Miles Brennan comes in and, you know, wins seven Heismans then I think that actually makes Etling look better. Yeah, my, two, eight Heismans. Eight Heismans. Oh, sorry, eight. I'm sorry. I thought it was seven. My bad. Um, but you see what I'm saying? Like, I think he can be – there's a possibility he can be credited as the guy who ends the curse of the LSU quarterback. But if Brennan comes in and, you know, shits the bed, then he's just another in a long line. Then he, he teeters the other way, and he's just another guy with really bad numbers. 
I'm trying to pull up the record book here. We got in a little discussion about this over the weekend of how bad LSU's quarterbacks are historically. It's pretty it's astounding. It is unbelievable how bad our quarterbacks. And I'm like, I, 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 yeah, because I pointed out that, like, yeah, Wickersham is our number two <laughs> yeah. quarterback at passing yards. And someone's just like, he never threw for 3,000. And, like, dude, I wasn't even talking about that. I was just pointing out that our number two quarterback isn't that good. Um, you know, slow your roll, people. Um, yeah, like Hodson never hit 3,000 yards, and he's like – I think he's our number one passer ever. Yeah, he's our number one. Hang on. Let's see. Um, yeah, I'm trying to pull up the records here so I could see exactly where Etling will slot because I bet it will surprise people. Um, All right, so – let me go to my well, – here we go to LSU, and then we will have um, stats all-time passing, if my mouse would work. Yeah, that's right. Okay, all-time. Number one is Hodson, Wickersham, Russell, Howard, Herb Tyler is our top five. Zach Mettenberg is the only other one who has over 5,000 yards. So let that sink in right there, that Herb Tyler is the fifth best passer in LSU history by raw yardage. And Jamie Howard is still in the top four. Um, Etling right now is number 12, and I think that's through today's game because that puts him at 39-29. That's it. And so at 39-29, he's 20 yards behind Jarrett Lee. So he will clearly pass him. Which is also astounding. Jarrett Lee is number 11. 11. And at number 10 is Josh Booty. Yes, that's right. The one and only Josh Booty. Danny Etling's only 22 yards behind him. So Danny Etling will finish in the top 10 uh, unless he breaks his leg in the first quarter. God. Please don't. Yeah, please don't do that. Um, so Danny Etling, but he, nah, but he's also 5,000 yards behind. I mean, 500 yards behind Rohan Davey. So... He's going to he's going to be number 10. Yeah, unless they just turn him loose these last few weeks. So Bol, did both stats count here? What's that? Oh, yeah, both stats. So, yeah, he, he might be able to get to 44. Now that I think about it, 500 is not completely out of reach. No. If he goes 200, 200. And then if he gets that, only 170 yards in front of Rohan Davey is the immortal Alan Risher. <laughs> <laughs> and the next name up again. Jordan Jefferson. Is Jordan, is Jordan Jefferson, <laughs> 4,733. He is currently uh, – he's roughly 800 yards ahead of Danny Etling. I, I don't think that's going to happen. He's not going to catch Jordan Jefferson. No. Um, now, Jordan did start in a lot more games. For sure. But I'm thinking, uh, yeah, Alan Risher is about as good as it gets for him. Uh, those are not legendary names that we just – maybe Rohan. I mean, yeah, I and do that's love kind of for different reasons too. Um, but yeah, Danny Etling, he's going to finish in the top ten. Um, now, some people, some quarterbacks who aren't in the top ten, um, Burt Jones isn't in there because Charlie Mack did not believe in throwing the football. Um, other than that, there's not a whole lot of other big names. Heidi, Matt Flynn's not in the top ten. Marcus Randall's not in the top ten. Lynn Amity is not – but once again, those aren't exactly – oh, my God, I can't believe they're not in the top. The Burt Jones one's surprising, but that's its own thing. So, yeah, you look at Etling. I mean, I think he's going to be remembered kind of like as a guy. I mean, because as soon as they start – he's going to drop down the record books pretty quickly 
as soon as guys start throwing for 3,000 yards. It's just astounding how few we have. We have three 3,000-yard passers ever. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Just, yeah, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, that's... Like, Mettenberger's in there twice for... Yeah. I mean, you, you can legitimately make a case that Mettenberger is one of the best quarterbacks in LSU history. Yeah. I mean, he was a good player, was, but... Yeah, I know, it's crazy. Um, he, I'm, yeah, the uh, LSU's quarterback play historically has not been good. Uh, for for a top tier program, it's it's shocking how bad our quarterback list is. Yeah, it really is. <sighs> Though you know, D- David Woodley played in a Super Bowl, so it's true. <laughs> Um, the last question, that's not a question. It's the Mets theory. Long time, long time yeah. listener, friend of the site. He just said, uh, he's happy to hear that little poser is doing good and he has nothing good to say to me. So typical. Well, the, thanks a lot, Mets. We appreciate it. Yeah. I'm happy the, uh, little poser has rebounded and went back to Tonka yeah. trucking and kicking ass and playing with his triceratops yeah. and all that. He's a big fan of the Triceratops. He, uh, um, we had another doctor's appointment today because you know the primary care physician wanted in on that action. Um, God, it was just irritating. I don't think I've ever been angrier in a in a doctor's appointment. I was just like, I'm taking time off work to have a guy tell me something that I already know. But if I don't go to this, it's going to like tank my reputation with the with my doctor, and you know, I, I need him for later on when my kids are sick, and you know, it's. So I'm just like, oh, I have to do this. You know, it's the follow-up to the follow-up, basically. And I'm like, you're not the specialist. You don't know what you're talking about. I already, t- already talked to the specialist. So, but I had to put a bow on it. And then they did, like, some other stuff that, you know, make me feel like I actually got my money's worth. So, <clears throat> I, my problem is not with doctors. It's with insurance because insurance basically made us do this, you know, in order to improve it. But still, God, it was such a waste of time. But Little Poser was doing awesome. Like, he's uh, pushing his trucks all over the place, um, playing with dinosaurs. Things are going well. And no surgery. So that's the big thing. That's great news. That's it. No more questions. Yeah. We did it. Unlike Butch Jones and Jim McElwain, we made it to the end. That's right. <laughs> we, we have made it to the end of the season. Not so fast, Kevin, someone. 